same China, different stories. We are the ones that found their way in a new life. Adopted babies, adopted babies from China. So this is kicking off season two because it's been a whole year since I started this podcast. And today I have a guest who is also a podcast host. So we're here with Liza, who is a host of I'm Adopted Now What podcast and also a Chinese adoptee. And I will let Liza share more about herself. Hi, everybody. Yes, I am so happy to be here on Tara's show. Uh, As she just said, my name is Liza, and I am the host of my own podcast, I'm Adopted Now What?, where we talk about adoption and identity. And that's how Tara and I connected, because we decided to collaborate. She would come on my show, and then I would come on her show and, you know, talk about adoption and help uh, raise awareness about particularly transracial adoptees. We're both Chinese adoptees. So that is, that's cool. It's something we have in common that we can talk about. Yeah. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Yes. It's so exciting to speak with a Chinese adoptee, a fellow podcaster as well. Yes. Could you share more or go ahead and share more about where you're adopted from, how old you were and anything related to your adoption you want to share? Awesome. Yeah. So I was adopted from the Jiangsu province uh, when I was about six months old. And that's how the story goes. So that's relatively young in, in the age range that adoptees are, you know, adopted in. Funny story is I'm applying for my UK passport currently because my dad was a UK citizen. And to prove the paternal relationship, I have to send my adoption certificate, like the one that has like the seal from the court. And when I was going through these papers, I realized on like on the paper, it says Jiangsu province. And it occurred to me that on my own show, I've been saying the wrong province, like Mm. from, from where I was. So that was funny, but yeah, it's the Jiangsu province, which is Eastern coast of China, like right in the middle. Mm, very nice. Mm-hmm. Your dad's a UK citizen? Yes, uh, he was. My dad passed away several years ago, but mm-hmm. yeah, his he was a UK citizen through his parents, through his family. They were they were all from England. And the way the UK passport like citizenship works is it you can have one generation later be like considered citizens solely because of the relationship, but it only is one generation. So, you know, if I had kids, it wouldn't apply to them, Right. Uh, but it applies to me. So I have been trying to get my, all my documents together and, you know, get my passport. Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> you grew up in the U.S. though, right? So you're- Yeah. I grew up in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. in New Jersey and you are now in Boston, right? Yes. How long have you been in Boston? Uh, I came here for undergrad in 20 no, 2013. I kind of did like this weird school thing where I I technically dropped out of high school. I never finished high school. I left after my junior year 
in 2011. And that's when I came to Massachusetts, but it was like Western Mass. It was like near the Berkshires. Mm -hmm. I stayed there for two years, did an academic program situation. And then when I transferred to Boston University in 2013, that's kind of how I ended up like where I live now. It's like some hopping around in the, (laughs) yeah. Basically didn't do high school, but you got a a bachelor's or- Yeah, I- Exactly. I did my GED for, you know, my like high school diploma equivalent. And then I went to like what is called an early college. And I basically did a two-year program, which would be the equivalent of a standard college, like AA certificate certification, Mm -hmm. like associate's degree. Um, And then I used that associate's degree when I transferred to BU and basically only had like three years at BU instead of probably what would have been more like four and a half. Pretty fascinating just to hear your journey through education system because I think there's like a standard, I want to say there's like a standard acceptance of like you do four years of your GED and then you go to, you go to a university or something like that and get your four years there. Or, but that's not always the case. So it's really nice to I always enjoy hearing these stories too because it's nobody needs to follow a particular path or a standard that's supposedly accepted. Yeah, definitely. Do you know how your parents met? Because your your dad was a UK citizen, and then yeah. So my parents were each each other's second marriage. So they had both been married to other people first, and then my mom got my mom was divorced. My dad was a widower. And they met through mutual friends, like a little bit later in life, obviously, because they'd like had all these first marriages and everything. They met through mutual friends. My mom is a therapist. And I think she was giving some sort of talk on like body image, because that's the area that she works in, Mm -hmm. in therapy. She was giving a talk on that. And one of their mutual friends was like, brought my dad along to the talk. And they hung out afterward. And I think, you know, that's kind of how it started. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a fan of, I'm a romantic. I realize this today as I'm listening to a po- other podcast that's a bunch of like romance stories that are all mm. fiction. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, I like, I like hearing these uh, romantic stories. Yeah. <laughs> it was in uh, New York. They kind of like had their first years together in New York. Mm, that's right, because you said you grew up in New Jersey, so they must have mm-hmm. moved out to New Jersey when they decided yeah, to exactly. start a family. Exactly. Are you the only child then? I am. It's just me. Just you. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of lonely growing up, if I'm being honest. I always wished I had a sibling. I think that's one of my earliest memories from my childhood was wishing that there was another kid Um, I was always really envious of like that bond and that specific relationship because it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's entirely, it's like, it's a unique relationship. And I don't know, I felt somehow like I, I was left out or missed out on that, that like cool connection that you have with, with your siblings, or I assume it's cool. I'm sure it's (laughs) annoying sometimes, but yeah, I always longed for a sibling. So that was kind of a bummer, but. Oh, were you able to find sort of really close friendships though instead? Or I guess yes and no. I definitely, you know, 
from, I don't know, like first, second grade, you know, when you kind of are old enough to make your own friends instead of being your parents' connections or something. Um, I did have friends, you know, the same people that were friends with me from first grade all the way through when I left high school. But I'm not friends with any of them anymore. There's only one friend of mine and we were friends uh, like literally since I was brought home from China. Um, So like infant babies, he and I are still really good friends. He's the closest thing I have to a brother, but it was actually kind of hard for me to keep friends throughout my childhood and my younger years. I'm not quite sure why, but I have never been the type of person to have a lot of friends or be kind of like a social butterfly. That just wasn't, wasn't me when I was Mm. growing up. I think in general too, we don't necessarily, most people don't stay very close to friends from the really younger years. Mm. Most people, I want to (laughs) say, generalizing again. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure we could root that back to adoption somehow. Because probably it yeah. probably is to an extent. <laughs> or it could just be ourselves as our personalities alone too. I mean, it just could be. Yeah, that. I kind of feel like. I mean, I like to think of myself as a good friend. I think I am one. But in especially in COVID, like this past year, it's been really interesting to kind of see who I stay connected with. Mm. and who I don't and none of them aside from that one guy that I just mentioned none of them are from before college and actually none of them are from college all of them are from the jobs that I had while Mm. I was in college is that true maybe there's one person from college but you get the idea like definitely (laughs) um it's it's few and far between. And it's been interesting to see like who actually makes the effort to reach out to me and who I remember to like reach out to or be like, oh, I haven't talked to them in a while. Let me check in. You know, that doesn't happen with many people. So. Oh yeah. Do you ever have people reach out to you that you haven't heard from in a long time based on current events too? Yeah, that's happened a bit, especially because when I was launching my podcast, I reached out to a bunch of people that probably never thought they'd ever hear from me ever (laughs) and you know asked them to share and stuff like that and some of some of those conversations have continued kind of off and on and but most of them haven't okay that's a good segue into your podcast so you finished college and you decided to stay in Boston Mm -hmm. did you study anything in particular or you just got a degree and then you decided I guess it's been some time between college and then the podcast. So like, what was your, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's like a a space, an empty space of (laughs) stuff that must've happened in your life that you're finding. Yeah. So do this. Definitely. I had my undergraduate degree in psychology. My master's is in forensic psychology, criminal justice. And I worked in a restaurant for a family owned restaurant for a really long time. Uh, I started as a part-time server worked my way up to like interim general manager, front of house manager. It was really fun. And that's where a lot of my friends are from that I was just talking about before. Ah. But yeah, there was definitely, 
there's definitely been some time since I was done with school and started this podcast, but I think, you know, Corona kind of got (laughs) in the way of a lot of it. Like I had two years in between my undergrad and my master's. And that was where I found the job, the restaurant job. I didn't, wasn't ready to go back to school. And then when I was ready, I got my master's. And then I think it was, I finished my degree, my master's degree at the end of 2019, like December, 2019. And then Corona started March, 2020. So there was only like three months between finishing school before like the world shut down. So in those three months, I was kind of planning, okay, what am I going to do now? What's my job going to be? Where am I going to live? You know, what is the future of my relationship? And then three months went by and nobody could live life the normal way at all. And that's where everything changed for me personally, as well as you know, like in the world around me. Mm -hmm. Um, At that point, I, my relationship had ended. And so I was newly single, moving to a new apartment by myself and just kind of waiting. I think I was in a place of waiting. Like I was putting the job search on pause. I was, you know, it didn't seem like the right time. I didn't know what was going to happen in terms of what would be available and, you know, whether the lockdown would get more serious or less serious. And so I was just waiting. Um, And during that time, I stayed close with a couple of friends from work and they kind of became like my bubble. That was also the same time that at least in Boston, the Black Lives Matter protests were really, really like revving up. And they were happening like every day, every weekend. And one of my friends who had helped me move in convinced me that it would be good for me to, you know, being newly single and in a new place to get out, hang out with people, but also do something that was socially important and meaningful Mm -hmm. and go to one of these protests. So I went, you know, with my bubble uh, to the protest And that was where it all changed for me. That Mm. is how my podcast came to be and my own personal journey of identity, getting into what adoption meant to me, thinking about my kind of Chinese origins in ways that I had never allowed in before. And through all of that, the podcast was born. Holy cow. So it's, holy cow. That's my reaction. But that's very, (laughs) wow, I didn't expect that because it seems like it's all very recent that not only you started your podcast, but it's also been a way for you to identify more with your adoption in the Chinese aspect of your heritage. So growing up, were you not as in tune with all of that? It was really just the recent events that you're like, all right, I'm going to do some more research. A hundred percent up until 2020, I like, not only was I not interested in knowing or like just delving into anything Asian about myself or in general, 
I was, I would say, deliberately avoidant of doing those things. I had this desperation to be seen as a white person that I have felt ever since I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. And I would just completely avoid doing anything that was stereotypically Asian. I would often say to people like, like I would reference myself as a banana, like yellow on the outside (laughs) and white on the inside because I just wanted people to understand so badly that in my mind, I was white Mm. and to kind of disregard the Asian appearance because it wasn't an accurate representation of how I felt. Mm. Yeah. That's literally how I lived and existed until basically 2020. Oh my. So it's really only been a year. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just hit a year of the pandemic. Yeah. And sadly, we just hit a very big event, I would say, in the Asian community. Yeah. Not a very, I shouldn't say a very big, well, I would say it is a pretty big event in relation to everything else that's been going on with the hate crimes and the small, smaller attacks, but then of course a mass shooting, which we've had many of. And I guess this is a good question to ask, and it's related, of course, because we're recording this only two days after mm-hmm. the shooting in Atlanta. And have, being being an individual or being somebody who's really just started to connect more with your identity and being an adoptee, and I'm not, I don't want to assume that you've connected more with like being a Chinese adoptee or the Chinese aspect mm-hmm. or culture. How do you feel <laughs> about the recent events? Because I think there's like varying degrees that people are sharing their insights, and I've listened to conversations with people who've been identifying with their Chinese. Asian American heritage essentially Mm -hmm. since they were really young and then there's Mm -hmm. I don't think I've heard a lot from people who are like just recently because you're not only are you just recently connecting more with the with your adoption the Chinese culture but you also like went through the big life changes of like work and relationship ending and like how on earth are you able to I guess the podcast is one way to help us what what is your how is your What's the correct English term I'm just thinking of? Yes, your thoughts. What your thoughts? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I was like, before jumping on this call, I was listening to a news podcast about, you know, what what happened in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I honestly don't know. I, I don't feel like of course I'm sad for the lives of the people that it directly affects. And I'm sad that like racism can lead to death, you know, like, and racism. Yeah. I mean, it's an understatement entirely, but racism makes me sad among other things, but I don't, I think it's hard for me to, to feel anything other than, what I would presume, although like maybe I shouldn't be doing that, but whatever. I don't think I feel anything other than what I presume uh, white people to be feeling mm. when they hear, like, you know, cons- okay, if you're, if you're like a lefty liberal Democrat 
and you're white. That's who I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I feel anything really different from, from what they feel, you know, given what I've heard people talking about on the news and stuff, you know, and they're white and they have that perspective firsthand. Uh, because I don't, I still don't feel like Chinese, Mm. Um, which is funny because obviously the audience can't see this, but there's like Asian art on my (laughs) wall behind me. (laughs) Um, so I feel very, I feel like ironic saying that, but I think for me, because as you said, it's been such a recent like revelation for myself on a personal level where I feel movement and change is more like before 2020, I don't think I ever would have had this art up on my wall. Mm-hmm. I would have been like, this is too Asian. It's not my vibe. It's not my style. Um, and then when I was, when I visited my mom for the first time in like 14 months because of COVID, yeah. uh, like last a few weeks ago, she was going to like put this art in storage and it's for those of you who can't see it it's like my baby outfit from when I was is that what that is oh my goodness and it's in you know it's like a baby outfit in frames and it's sort of a traditional Chinese outfit um when I saw it like a few weeks ago and when I was home I was like oh mom like are you gonna take that or can I take it because I think it would make nice art Mm -hmm. and you know and then I put it in frames and everything but I that for me is a huge improvement for even that level of embracing an Asian aesthetic quote unquote Mm -hmm. uh, is a big deal for me so that in that kind of way I feel a shift but I don't think I'm at the point yet where I feel a shift in terms of identifying as white American as opposed to identifying as an Asian person. Um, I think the other thing though that has changed is, you know, how I was saying I, when I was younger, would deliberately avoid Asian things And I would have this desperation for other people to understand that I didn't identify as Asian. I don't feel that extreme about it anymore. So I don't, I no longer have the desire for people to, to just get, to get it that I'm not Asian, even though Mm -hmm. I look it, you know, for me now, I say, okay, you know, that person's going to think I'm Asian to a certain degree because of my exterior and they're not wrong. Yeah. So all of that kind of extremeness has subsided and gone away in addition to the art and things like that. <laughs> but in terms of, you know, relating it back to the the mass shooting in Georgia, I you know, my heart goes out to those people and those families, but I don't take it, it doesn't feel personal to me, Mm. at least not yet. Yeah. I think you really did a excellent job of sharing your experience of, because I I think a lot of 
Chinese adoptees or transracial adoptees in general face the whole identifying with the culture that they were born into and then of course taken away from or taken out of I think mm-hmm. you did an excellent job of sharing that insight too because uh, I don't think I had mentioned it earlier but we're actually the same age if yeah I, if I remember correctly. we're actually we the are, same 27? age 27 and it's yeah almost been in some of these rooms or conversations there's been a lot of people who are much younger than us like mm-hmm. late, later teens early 20s who seem to be like on the on the mark of identifying more with their culture that they were born into or not, and just like establishing their ground of what they feel related to identifying with the culture. So I, I think it's like a very nice conversation that we're having now where we're both older. We're almost, we're getting to our, we're going to be 30 in three years. Mm-hmm. And it's only now and recent that you've connected more with this side and understood what you were doing when you were younger and how that's affected you now what you'd like to do moving forward and I I, I also really enjoy or love that we both are using the podcast forum as a way to understand this side of who we are too definitely it's great that how you worded that was so eloquent as well wow (laughs) thanks yeah I I'm glad you brought that up because that was something that I realized when we were talking for my show too, is mm-hmm. that we are, we're same age. And I always say like, we're closer to 30 than we are to 20, you know, like, yes, which, is, <laughs> which is not the same as being 22 and you're finishing college, right? Like that's mm-hmm. such a different time in your life. And I have also had the experience of speaking with mostly people that are younger than me in the adopt community. Yeah. And I have also noticed that they they being the young tw- the early 20-year-olds right um are way more I don't know for lack of better wording like with it in terms mm-hmm. of like being in touch with their you know quote unquote mother country like culture or just kind of understanding the cross sectionality between their white parentage versus their Asian exterior and it's all very cool and like I'm I'm in such awe and like admiration of them because I looking back wish that I had been more in tune when I was their age when I was in my early 20s Mm, same same 100% (laughs) (laughs) it's a this is getting into another sort of tangent, but I think media and the la- and the availability of resources is really helping with that too, because I think that's a, that's a great thing about a podcast like yours too, is that when they're looking up about adoption, they find your podcast and it's like, oh, somebody else feels, somebody understands it feels the way I do and it's being voiced. So it's always great to create more content where it's available for people to hear and identify yeah I know this is like uh I think I've had this conversation before on this podcast for sure about like media its advantages and disadvantages and Mm. technology I would say the only thing about the shooting that seems to get me and I keep the way the media seems to be reporting on it because I've tried to look at multiple sources and hear multiple resources related to the specific stories some of them don't even mention it depending on if Mm. it's left or right wing probably more right more likely it's the right wing stuff that you're not going to see a headline about this yeah I did try to look for one didn't see one because I definitely think I swing left for sure yeah um 
even the left wing resources are more focused on the narrative of not the families or any of the victims. It's more about what the authorities are saying or about this shooter. And it's like, hasn't it been in recent, I know we were talking about this right before, but hasn't it been recent where in mass shootings, a shooter doesn't get much coverage or any sort of leeway. I don't wanna say leeway, but yeah, there seems to be a lot more coverage and everything related to this shooter and his or hers, I think it was his, his background. But what about the families? Yeah. Where it seems like, are we answering the question that I also asked you? It's more from, I know in my personal experience, I have really identified more with Chinese culture the past yeah. three years. I'm yeah. speaking Mandarin with people, specifically those who speak Mandarin and some who speak Cantonese. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't take it personally either, the attack. I think it's just more, I take it more on the side of like media coverage of it because that's where everybody gets their news from, it seems, is media coverage. And the way they're portraying it makes it seem, it's like creating more divide than before. I don't know if that's always been the case, but it feels like even more these days that the divide is becoming stronger where we have our podcast here to help inform and share our perspectives and our stories so other people can learn from that and then you have like the media coverage of a really big shooting where yes six of the victims are asian american women but they don't really talk about that as much as like the motive of the the gunman yeah i think that's because at least in america there's this sort of like maybe it's unintentional i'm i can't say but there's this like fascination and glorification of violence and i think that if they were to change the conversation away from the person who carried out the violence to the victims of the violence then it, the conversation could too easily slip into, oh, well, that was racist. And that's, I feel like, a news outlet's sort of worst nightmare in a way because mm. it's so divisive. Whereas, oh, like, yeah, let's focus on the, sh- the shooter and the shooter was bad. That's something that everybody, like, th- they're not taking any risks there, right? Like, that's something everyone's going to agree with. You know, it's not, it's not like, okay, it's not groundbreaking, okay, that, like, we're calling this person bad, and, oh, you shouldn't have done that, and, like, like, you know, thinking about what his motivations were and everything, like, that's something that everybody can, you know, quote-unquote, get behind, but I think it would be too divisive in a way that would, like, affect the network ratings if they were Mm -hmm. to change the conversation to, race because that's more subjective like the the audience the people watching the news are gonna have stronger feelings about the race the racial aspect of what happened whereas if they just focus on the violence then yeah violence is bad and everybody agrees about that at the end of the day Mm -hmm. i'm sure there's a few select humans in the world who don't who disagree but you know yeah yeah well, mo- hopefully mo- most people watching the hopefully news, most. At least. yeah, yeah. 
hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it just seems like there's more division when it's like we're creating communities, I guess, but it's like, oh, having these communities, it's almost like we're more divided at times. And it's like, oh, there's just no, there just seems to be not a like compromise of some sort. It's like we create communities, but then we're divided. And I feel like this will be a good time to insert a break. Because we're going to bring the conversation back to your experience and your adoption too. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been back to China? Do you want to go back to China where you were adopted from at some point if you have not been back? I have never been back to China. And again, for the longest time, I, you know, my mom would ask me like, do you want to go back to China, honey? She would say, honey, if you ever want to do like if you ever want to visit the orphanage you were from, or if you ever want to like, you know, search for anything of any kind in China, like I will go with you. I will pay for your plane ticket. We can go. We'll, you know, and I was always the one that said, no, I'm not interested. No, I don't care. Mm. Um, I don't think it's that I don't care anymore. I just think it has become a question of am I curious or am I not curious? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I have a lot more respect for the idea of going back and visiting the orphanage, for example. And if I played out that scenario in my head, I do think it would be powerful in a positive way, ultimately for me. Mm-hmm. But I just am so good where I am, like with myself and mentally and in my life. Like I'm so solid and so happy and satisfied that I don't feel, I'm just not curious. Like I, my cup is full and in the best way possible. And I feel like I'm able to say that. And I feel like my cup is full in part because I stopped fighting the battle of no, I'm not Asian. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been really liberating actually. And I think it's affected more just the quality of life for me as, as a woman, as a person, instead of, oh, has it clarified anything for you in terms of race? If that makes sense. I feel like oh, I might have said it does. in a confusing Okay, does. good. <laughs> no, it totally does. I think I think that's uh, what you just said is something many people, many adoptees, transracial adoptees or Chinese adoptees specifically would probably appreciate hearing because I think even with our being Chinese adoptees, there's certain aspects that I mean everybody will ask but even amongst adoptees we'll ask each other do you want to do you want to do the search for your family do you Mm -hmm. want to go back to China I mean I just did it too of course Mm -hmm. but I always ask that question with the intention of not getting I'm not asking that to get a certain response I think I really want an honest opinion from people not just the oh yeah I definitely want to go back oh no not at all like it's it's amazing to hear 
your honest perspective on it. And that's, that's a huge part of like, it's about us as humans and where we are in our journey as we keep going, because we plan to keep going. <laughs> that's the idea. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I've been wondering on your arm, you have a tattoo in like, yeah, which, is- which one? I have a few on my arms. Forearm. What does that say? Um, this says two up and three across. And the next question I'm anticipating is going to be what that means. <laughs> um, so the short backstory, uh, my dad, again, being from England, mm-hmm. had an English accent, you know, and all of that. And he would read Harry Potter to me every night before I would go to bed, like as our bedtime ritual kind of routine thing. And it was always special for me, A, because obviously Harry Potter takes place in England, in the UK. It's Mm -hmm. like an English thing. Um, So he would always do all the voices, uh, like each character would have different voices and they would all have English Mm -hmm. accents. And it was just, it was awesome. It was like listening to a movie. And the, in the books, you know, when Harry is, is going to Diagon Alley for the first time, it's the, it's the, the like brick code of the wall that like separates the muggle world from the wizarding world. And Diagon Alley is, well, first, the first book and the first movie are my favorites of the movie series and the book series. And the Diagon Alley scene in the first movie and the Diagon Alley chapter in the first book are my favorite scenes and chapters, respectively. Mm. Uh, it was, it was, this tattoo was a way of, well, an homage to my love of Harry Potter, but also an homage to the memory and the experience of having it as like a bedtime ritual with my dad. With your dad. Which, you know, and Harry Potter is something that I felt like was just the two of us you know my mom wasn't there she wouldn't it was just him and I Mm. and it was also not to knock these tattoos because I have several tattoos I am an avid tattoo lover and I would never (laughs) say that you know a tattoo is bad because everyone has their own reason for whatever but I was really personally just sort of like proud of myself for having this idea because it wasn't like a lightning bolt or it wasn't, you know, the glasses or the, the, uh, the Deathly Hallows symbol. It was a a tattoo I'd never seen before to represent Harry Potter. And I really loved the originality of of Mm. it as well. Once you said two up and three across, I actually did immediately think of Ah! Harry Potter. So perfect. It also conveniently worked out to be sort of like a lot of people will read it and think chess which uh, I totally understand, which also is relevant to Harry Potter, you know, because of the chess game and Ron and everything. But my dad was also an avid chess player and he was really, really good. And he's the one who taught me how to play chess. So if it means chess for you, then that's okay too. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Because it was like two up and three across. What would have, what, honestly, other than that scene that you speak of, I can't think of other pop culture references where there's been that specific mm-hmm. pattern. Yep. It could awesome. be a, not that <laughs> informative, but I definitely thought of Harry Potter right away. I was like, oh, that's that perfect. It's like, okay. That's the goal. Like, yeah. I love it. 
can nerd out about Harry Potter on here. Definitely. Oh yeah, anytime. <laughs> um, For sure. I don't. Even, I don't even know how to play chess, so that didn't occur to me at all. Hmm. Okay. No worries. <laughs> I don't play it well, so. <laughs> That's really great that you have something to keep in memory of your father, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. A lot of my tattoos are about my dad. And I get, like, I get worried sometimes that my mom feels, like, left out or something. (laughs) But, uh, you know, she, luckily, she's not gone yet, so. Right. Is she living in New Jersey still, or is she in Boston? Yeah. Well, she, um... She does still, like, live in the house I grew up in, in New Jersey. Yeah. Mm. But she used to split her time there between that house and an apartment she rented in New York because oh. New York is, like, like her, her the place where her soul, like, wants to live. Like, I don't know <laughs> how else to say it. Like, she just, she's a New Yorker, like, just yeah. to the core. And she's, like, her happiest self when she's in New York. So she was renting an apartment there. Then she met somebody and now and they've been together for a while and now she splits her time between the house I grew up in in New Jersey and her partner's house which is more like like upstate New York Mm. okay so you guys aren't too far from each other no yeah but because of corona I hadn't seen her I saw her in February like last month but before that I hadn't seen her for over a year we're rounding into the last question I always ask mm-hmm. um, to conclude, but is there anything you'd like to hear from other adoptees or anybody who adoption has been a big part of their life? Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Let me think. Okay. I'm always interested to know more about the level of communication people have or had with their parents, particularly mm. around adoption, being in interracial, transracial adoptees and all of that, because I feel like for me, the number one game-changing factor was how open those topics were in my house. Mm. Um you know, I always knew that any of those doors were open at all times. And if I didn't want to walk through them, okay, no problem. That's fine. That's my choice. But if I did, then I could do so freely without worrying about making my parents feel bad, without making myself feel guilty for wondering, without worrying like oh my you know my parents are gonna give me some sort of like pg version you know like i trusted Mm -hmm. them to tell me the truth and they trusted me to come to them if i needed the truth about something Mm -hmm. and that was always known you know both ways from my parents and from me and i really think that that was the number one reason why I was able to grow up so secure, so in a lot of ways, like unaffected 
mm-hmm. by for what other people can be extremely traumatizing as the years go by. Yeah. And I feel like I didn't experience that. Um, you know, I definitely had my own, my own shit, my own baggage. Uh, yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't like the huge trauma that you can often hear about from adoptees. It wasn't an inconsolable identity crisis at any point. I always felt like I was kind of the poster child for adoption in a lot of ways because I felt like really adjusted, really secure. And I think that that all came from having super communicative and open channels about these things with my parents. So going back to your question, I'm always curious and fascinated to hear about the different communication levels from other adoptees between them and their parents to kind of, I guess for my own selfish reasons, like to suss out whether I'm onto something and whether that really was (laughs) like the biggest impact for me personally, but also because I think bringing that sort of awareness to people's minds can, can lead to a lot of like revel, like realizations and breakthroughs. Um, in terms of like, oh, you know, maybe had they, maybe if we had discussed that more, it wouldn't feel like, you know, such a dilemma for me now and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, which I've heard from people on my show and, you know, just in general in the adoptee community. Uh, So yeah, I would definitely want to know that, like how how the communication was around adoption related things in the household between the adoptee and Mm. their parents yeah that's a that's a very good I agree (laughs) I would say yeah (laughs) I agree that's a very that's because I'm also curious about that too yeah no matter what the relationship we all have with our parents you're always I feel like we're always curious what other people experience too yeah yeah speaking of your podcast though I believe season two is out Yes, season two should, fingers crossed, be out by the time you are listening to this. It probably will have just started. Maybe there might even only be like one episode out, but yes. Yes. Would you like to share the social media for the podcast and then Oh, yes. Please, definitely. So my personal Instagram is Liza Maystone, M-E-I. It's all one word. And the podcast Instagram is I'm adopted dot podcast. Uh, the podcast name though is I'm adopted now what? And you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify. You can ask your Alexa to play it for you as well. You can listen to it on iHeartRadio and a couple other places to Pandora and I think like two other things two other platforms that I oh my can't gosh remember. your your podcast <laughs> is definitely I think on the biggest streaming for sure oh yeah definitely like Apple ones. Google Spotify definitely yeah Amazon would be Alexa. Amazon as well yes well actually I don't know if it's on Amazon I've a I've applied for it to be on Amazon oh. but you know I haven't like usually it's like a month before I hear back. Okay, now it's live or listed or whatever. So, um, but yeah, definitely available like on most in most ways that you listen to podcasts. podcasts. 
You could just Google it. Do you? <laughs> That's true. You could Google it. If you Google it with my name, it should definitely come up. It should definitely show up. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, this is really good to have another deep conversation. I think both of the, all the conversations we've had so far have been pretty deep. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And if you, for your listeners, um, if they want to hear, I mean, I'm sure they hear a lot about your own story from you being the host, but if you want to like hear your favorite host, Tara interviewed, instead of being the interviewer, you should, you know, listen to the episode, uh, that will be out at some point in season two of my podcast as well, which I will definitely send to Tara so she can disseminate it to all of her podcast followers yes. as well in case they're interested yes yes I'm glad you answered that I was like I forget when that one's coming out but yes yeah, the one that where I am on your show mm-hmm. and I actually do talk about the communication with parents mm-hmm. on your show much deeper than I think I ever have on this one Ooh, so, so maybe you'll learn something new about your favorite host probably <laughs> yes, I, I have found usually doing the recordings that I try to not talk as much about my story or anything Uh, it might come out occasionally but I don't think it's ever come out as raw as it has when I'm being interviewed (laughs) Mm, definitely I understand that for sure you know how that works as a fellow podcaster (laughs) well thank you for coming on to the show and I always like to say goodbye for now because I'm sure we'll stay in contact and yes that would be that would be all (laughs) thank you so much for having me and you know it was such a pleasure to be here and talk about this and yeah definitely uh goodbye for now not forever goodbye Uh, yeah bye everybody well thank you for listening to abc beginning of season two on this show you can reach us at adoptedbabiesfromchina at gmail.com if you would like to share your story or also on Adopted Babies from China Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Mm-hmm.